When you're used to being such a carnivore, it's really hard at the beginning. You feel like you're going to be deprived. Hi, I'm Matt McKee. I created the Sweet Blast series of photographs that are designed specifically to start conversations in the room around the bigger topics of food, art, and sustainability. This podcast is the companion piece to that project where I get to share with you some of the discussions that Sweet Blast has inspired. Today, my guest is Suzanne Schultz, founder of Canvas Fine Arts, a consultant to artists looking to get their art out into the world. She has worked with artists such as Peter Glebo, Matthias Lupri, Dan McColl, and Dominic Esposito. You can find out more about the Sweet Blast series as well as other art projects I'm working on at theartofmattmckee.com. Please like and review this podcast so others can find us and join the conversation. So let's get started. Hey, Matt. How are you? Thanks for having me. One of the things we talked about recently was how your exposure to Sweet Blast, low those many years ago, has started to influence your own diet and, and cooking practices for yourself. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I can. I've always, I, and I'm not sure I love this word, consider myself a foodie and somebody who likes to cook and actually did some cooking classes in Tuscany at one point. And never really questioned the source of the food. You know, it was just always there. I would go to a grocery store and get it. It was magically there. I never questioned how the meat came to be. I never questioned what pesticides might have touched my fruits and vegetables. I always rinsed them, but it was it was a rinse. <laughs> <laughs> it was just something you did. It wasn't like there was a specific purpose for it. Yeah, it was a rinse, you know, in case somebody else touched in the grocery store, there was dirt on it. I, I never really thought um, in depth about what it was. And it was actually in Italy where I, I started to think about things a little differently because things look differently there. The chicken we used was very yellow. The egg yolks were very yellow. We went out to a garden to choose the produce for the meal. And I, I thought, wow, why does this food look different? you know, because it was fresh. So the chickens were humanely raised and, and probably killed that morning. The eggs came from a chicken right outside the door. Uh, there wasn't any processing and it honestly looked different and tasted different. Shortly after that trip to Italy, I met you. Your philosophy, you know, your art is so fun to look at and it's vibrant and it's bright. And it draws you in. And when you're drawn in, you learn more about the reality of the foods that we're consuming every day. And um, it's a real eye opener. From our conversations over the years, it seems like food has been really central to your life. The act of creating a, a dish or a recipe has has evolved over the years for you. Do you feel that's the case? To me, food has always been emotional. It's been there in good times and bad. It's what I gave my kids. I would send them off with a, a, a nice breakfast and pack a lunch. And there was always dinner, extended family. You know, it was all about bringing people together. When I really started thinking about how often we consume meat and why meat is different than the meat my grandparents ate. How do we make better choices? And so when I choose ingredients or when I plan a menu now, it's, it's less blind, I, I should say. It's a little more thoughtful in terms of my body and what's going into it instead of just what tastes good. I'm trying to incorporate a few nights a week without meat. And when you're used to being such a carnivore, it's really hard at the beginning and you feel like you're going to be deprived, but it feels really good. And I think when we put the right things into our bodies, we ultimately feel good. Our bodies work better. Our brains work better. Our skin looks better. And I'm certainly not saying no to meat 100%, but I have spent some time because of people like you watching 
videos or documentaries on what happens to the cattle, what happens to the chicken, where do those McDonald's French fries come from? Mm. You know, mm. are they just a potato? They're not. There's it's more involved with that particular potato and the amount of pesticides needed to create a blemish free long French fry. I didn't want to know any of that a long time ago. And now I do. I really want to know more about it. So it sounds like you are more interested in the care that goes into it, the more artisanal kind of the farmer treats whatever food they're raising with more respect, has more of a connection to it rather than it just being a commodity where you want to get more and more and more and more of it. Exactly. Yeah. And we as Americans, I think, are are, we're consumers. And what's happened to us is we are now the most obese and most malnourished country, I believe. There's a real problem with that. Why is that? Why is there so many fast food restaurants? Fast food offers people something that's filling at a very cheap price. But Ultimately, their health is at risk and kids are being brought up on that. You know, it's hard when two parents are working and it's hard to stretch a budget to buy healthy foods and organic foods are expensive. Um, but I think we need to to make more demands to have that food more readily available. Some of this easy, quick stuff, processed foods to slowly start going away because we're feeding a whole generation of kids a bunch of toxin. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. One of the things that's been fascinating to me is we've started to take some more care and some more thought into what we're cooking, but every recipe that I'm looking for now, it still needs to be short. If it takes more than 20 minutes in the kitchen for me to prep something up, I get bored too quickly. As a result of that, I'm finding that yesterday when I went home, I had a, a chicken thigh and some brown rice and that I cooked previously and some spinach. And I put the chicken and the spinach and the rice into a bowl, threw it in the microwave, and I ended up with basically a little rice bowl that actually had most of the things you need for a meal. I actually ended up eating less because it was much more filling. No, absolutely. I think there's a certain myth to the fast food being more cost effective. It, yes, it you know it's not like going through a drive-through where you're in and out in five minutes. But at the same time, <laughs> what I ate was a heck of a lot more healthy than the burger and fries that I would have done in days of yore. I heard this on a documentary once, and I'm not sure if it's true, but the the act of cooking in itself gets the body ready for a digestion. The, the body reacts to the sounds of the clink, clink, the pots and pans, the tsh, you know, the stove, like your body's like getting ready for that. Pavlovian response. When you go through a drive through it's not ready. Yeah. It's like you order it in two minutes, there it is, and you eat, you've eaten it before you've even left the parking lot. <laughs> so there are all these other issues. And the act of cooking, too, I do believe is an act of love for oneself and family and friends. You bring your children into it with you or bring, you know, your family into it, you know, it becomes a real experience and people can see actually what they're eating. I mean, I've been buying broccoli, asparagus, Brussels sprouts. I Ooh. put a little olive oil, salt and pepper. Oh, the Brussels sprouts are so I good. And you put them in the oven. Don't like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you will if you cook them this way and you salt them and pepper them and cook them for about 40 minutes and they, they're like a chip. They're crispy. I do like chips. I love chips. And so I'm trying to replace that habit of chips in a bag with something like a pan of asparagus that is brown and crunchy and salty and it, it's just as satisfying. It takes more time, obviously, than opening a, opening a bag of chips, but I, I feel good that I've made a good choice. I think 
think there's something to be said for that, uh, the whole kind of prep thing, because for me, while I'm cooking or while I'm creating something, I'm also sampling things as I go along. So by the time I sit down, I'm not starving to death because I've taken so long, not so long, 20 minutes to prepare the meal. It feels like uh, I'm much more satisfied at the end of it. We eat Sunday breakfast in the dining room with candles lit, candles, flowers, because it's more than just shoving food down your throat. It's sitting down with your family and saying, huh. How was your day? Put the phones away. You know, let's take a moment and enjoy the food. Yeah, we do have that rule in our house. It's an art. When I grew up, we didn't obviously have cell phones and we had Sunday dinner uh, every Sunday. (laughs) Nothing was open on Sundays. Nobody was going to a mall. My mother wasn't a great cook, but she cooked a big Sunday dinner and we all sat and ate it and talked. And it's very foreign to a lot of kids now. And I get people are super busy and kids have a lot of activities and parents work and there's a lot of stress. But even if you did it once a week, maybe people can't do it every day. But I also think that gives respect to the whole thing about food and meals and everything. It's more than just what we're eating. As you were talking, I kept thinking about the fact that the people who go to the gym regularly and advocate for exercise and things like that always talk to me about why you just need to make time in your day to go do it. And it's a time for reflection. It's a time for defocusing the mind on the work aspect of the day and refocusing your mind and allowing it to do the freeform kinds of uh, associations that always end up generating new ideas. Do you think that that would also hold true for preparing your own food? Absolutely. You have to decide what kind of life you want to live. And then those practices that you have to put into place, you need to be a slave to. You are not going to have the life that you want if you don't do the work. And if it's a fit body that includes working out or eating right, it's not going to miraculously happen. You really have to take something out and put some to put something in. You know, I was fortunate enough to stay home with my kids. It was easier for me, but it wasn't easy every day. Like there were days that I was like, I can't do this again. <laughs> I just put the dishes away. The kitchen is closed. You know, I mean, all those cliches, like I didn't love it every minute. But looking back, I know it was a gift and I did have candles lit even with my own children and they come down for breakfast and every and it was a real fireplace back then with real wood. I would get up at five and make that fire in the fireplace in the kitchen so my kids could have that experience. I since found out they didn't like it because (laughs) I guess I would send them out to get more wood in the cold. So I didn't think the whole thing through. But I wanted the meal not to be always, and even if it was cold cereal, it was presented in a way that I wanted them to start their day feeling some sort of something. Mm. You know what I'm saying? We uh, have the candles in our dining room, and Shay, my youngest, was first getting involved in working with metal and things like that. I mean, his job was to light the candles. Mom, my wife, loves to cook, so that that was her Bailiwick. She's uh, starting to share out duties more, but it really was, uh, I think the cooking is part of her process, a part of how she pauses in her day as a teacher and all the things that she has to handle with that and allows herself to, to think. So she didn't necessarily want the kids messing around in the kitchen while she was working on that part because she had a specific goal she wanted to achieve, but she gave tasks out so that Shay's job was to light the candles. Hunter's job was to get the plates. My job was to make sure that there, there was milk and water for everybody. And uh, it, it was it was part of a process that, that brought everyone together. And of course, no phones at the table after that. It's like a symphony. 
Yes. Everybody's <laughs> got their instrument to play. And without yeah. it all, it doesn't work. Yes. It is hard if you're single to do it. There are days that I'm standing over the sink eating. And there are days that I just, I live in a studio apartment that I'm like, why not eat in the bed? <laughs> why not? <laughs> the bed's there. Why not eat in the bed? And so it's not super easy, but I do try to make a point to put a, a setting down at the table and actually sit at the table and eat my food because otherwise, you know, what separates us from, <laughs> from our pets. Very true. Very true. I live near a Whole Foods now, which is amazing. And Boston offers so many great places to buy incredibly healthy foods. Being in Ohio now, I was actually talking to a foodie over the weekend and he said there aren't a lot of places here to get really good quality ingredients. So not everything is created equal. And where we live on the East Coast, we are fortunate to to have markets like Italy and Whole Foods and the Boston Public Market and Faneuil Hall, where you go in and it's just fresh, organic colors, beauty. You, you get the menu of what you're going to eat for dinner, what that animal ate for dinner. You know, you, you know everything. It's <laughs> it's good, but not everybody has that available. Now, yeah, I was going to say the uh, critics of that say that a lot of that is marketing hype and is causing those food items to be inflated in price as a result of it, where go into Costco and get 10 pounds of, of beef. If you can get something cheaper, especially if you're on a really tight budget, I, I can see how that would be a very difficult thing to balance. It's a very difficult thing to balance because again, everybody's stretched, but especially in this time that we're in right now, you know, people have lost their jobs. And I mean, life is different than it used to be. My grandparents were mill workers. They put three kids through college. They own their own home. They had their own car. That's just not the world we're living in now. You can't raise a family and feed them well on a minimum wage job. Mm. I mean, we could really go down down and deep, you know, when we think about school lunch programs. Um, I watched a documentary called Where Do We Invade Next? And it was Michael Moore. And he took some program in America and compared it to a different program in a different part of the world. And the one that really stuck with me because I love food was our school lunch program. And they compared it to France. And it didn't matter if it was Paris or the poorest village in France. It's all the same. The kids sit at tables with white tablecloths. They are served a little poached fish, a little camembert. There is no soda. You know, they learn the art of eating slowly. They're given healthy food. They're given a chance. Our school lunch programs are quite different. You know, there's hamburgers and hot dogs and vending machines with Coca-Cola and potato chips and, you know. And the, and the chicken nuggets, yeah. I love chicken nugget day and pizza day. <laughs> you know, of course, I was a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so it comes back to an education starting early. These skills need to be learned early in order for them to stick. They do. They absolutely do. And I think your artwork, because it, it it's not uh, this gloom and doom message. It's a very attractive, very fun, very bold statement that people are drawn to. And then we're led into something else. Thank you. If we can start teaching our kids young, and there's actually a school in California, the kids go out into the garden, they plant the vegetables, they eat them for lunch. It's all vegan. And it was created by James Cameron's wife and her sister started this school. And she's like, some of the families aren't even vegan, you know, but their kids are getting this at a young age, you know, and she actually wrote a book called One Meal a Day. 
And it's like, just choose one meal a day not to have meat. One of her quotes or one of the things she said is, you know, we as adults, you know, and the way we've grown up, if we drive a Tesla, we're like, we've saved the earth. I'm driving a Tesla. Look at me. (laughs) These kids just, they don't know of anything else. You know, they are taught from babies on that this is the way it is. There is no waste in that school. So the process to getting to a greener lifestyle, a greener planet is little steps along the way. It's not taking giant steps and hoping that that's going to be the silver bullet. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you know, when I think back to the seventies, people used to litter. I mean, (laughs) remember that? I do. I do. And I still, it goes right up my, you know what, when I'm driving along and I watch somebody throw something out their window, it doesn't matter what it is. Usually it's a piece of paper or something like that, or a napkin. It drives me nuts. I remember as a kid, In school, we had these projects where we'd go out and clean up the woods. Now, that doesn't exist anymore. The litterers, the old litterers probably had a really hard time. Like, where do I put my stuff? (laughs) I'm going to throw it on the ground. I don't know what else to do with it. But the young kids like me growing up in the 70s, like, don't litter because that's how I grew up. It was like a thing when I was growing up and I was give a hoot, don't pollute. I mean, we have so much to learn. Learning never stops. I guess. And you are, you are a teacher <laughs> and you help shift my perspective. I often say this to people. I, you know, I've worked with over a hundred artists and there are a few who have shifted my view of the world. And you are one of them. And as an artist, you have the power to tell a story and serve something to me that is not going to be served or told to me on the news. You have a unique perspective of the world and you can share it with me in a way that I can accept it where just hearing it, blah, 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 on the news all the time doesn't Mm -hmm. always get in. And that's the power of art. I agree. For me, it always starts with a conversation. Education is a conversation between the teacher and the, the student. And the role of teacher and student oftentimes can be very fluid and and flex back and forth, but it always starts with just having a conversation. Anything I've ever learned has started with having a conversation uh, with somebody who's got a different perspective. And I think that's very important. Um, I think that that should probably wrap up because my Zoom call is probably going to... Oh, you're getting another Amber Alert on your phone? I am. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm going to be out looking for this person. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe it's me that's missing. I don't uh, know. You're not missing. You're you're very present in in, uh, in our <laughs> podcast here. Um, I want to thank you very much for, for talking with me today. Uh, I've certainly learned a little bit more about how you approach the subject of food and sustainability. For those of you listening, uh, thank you very much for checking in with Cherry Bomb, the podcast. The companion companion piece i'll figure out how to say that eventually <laughs> to the sweet blast series which can be found at the art of please like and review this pod so that others can find us and let's start the discussion 